Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, starting in chapter 11, verse 14. Jesus has been teaching his disciples and giving various parables. He has sent out the 72, which were disciples that had power over Satan and over evil in the world as evangelists for the coming of the kingdom of God. And starting in verse 14, he's casting out a person who has a demon who makes the person mute. Now, the response is that they say, the people who don't like Jesus, that he is a disciple of Satan, that he's an employee of Beelzebul, the prince of demons, which is the Hebrew name for Satan at this time. And so that accusation occurs in Matthew chapter 12 and Mark chapter 3. And some people have said, well, it's the same miracle, it's the same thing in three different Gospels, but the location is different and the miracle is different. And so what we see here is the, perhaps the chief priests, perhaps the head Pharisees, those in charge of the religious system have put together a propaganda campaign to really discredit Jesus. Now, he is actually healing people. They have actually interviewed people who were blind and now see, who were crippled and now walk, who were paralyzed and now functioning, who were dead and risen from the dead. They have interviewed people and they can't deny that these people are actually healed. And so they can't attack Jesus on his works. They have talked to people who were at the feeding of the five and four thousand, and they were actually filled and had leftovers, and they can't say, well, that didn't happen. It's not mass hysteria. They can also look at the demons that are being cast out, and that seems to be happening quite a bit in the Gospels. It is understood and we believe that there was a lot more demon activity during Jesus' time on earth than there is even today because the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God were in conflict in a very real, personal, physical way when Jesus walked the earth. And so it's understandable how they would try to discredit Jesus. Today we would call this an ad hominem attack. If we're disagreeing about a particular position and I can't beat you logically, then I'll just say, but you're ugly or something like that. That is an ad hominem attack. I'm attacking your person because I cannot attack your arguments. They cannot attack Jesus' arguments, so they're attacking his person. And they've created this talking point, which is really an extreme talking point, that Jesus is an employee of Satan. 
And they've put it out and their messengers have gone out to the various areas saying, if you see Jesus, say he's an employee of Satan. If you see Jesus, tell him he works for Beelzebul. And that has become the, the, I don't know, the apex of the accusations against Jesus. You can't get any worse than that. You can't get any stronger than that than saying that Jesus, the the advancer of the kingdom of God is actually admit, uh, advancing the kingdom of Satan. And so if we look in the Gospel of Luke at what this miracle is, here's a demon who makes a person mute. Okay, the person uh, was unable to speak. We find in other parts that that is usually because they can't hear, because they're deaf and mute. This doesn't say it, but we think, yeah, that maybe that's a cause. And so Jesus cast out the demon, and the person speaks. And it seems to be for the first time this person speaks, and people are amazed. And as usual, when Jesus cures somebody, it is a full causative cure. He cures the root cause, even though they do not have the medical aspects to do an MRI or something to find out what the root cause is, Jesus understands. And so when he does a healing, it is a fully, complete, total healing. This person will now function as if they've been speaking their whole life with no therapy, with no speech therapy, with no schooling, with nothing all of the information this person needs to speak was put into his brain as well as the mechanics of speaking were fixed. And it says in end of 14, and the people marveled. And they did that a lot. Whenever Jesus would heal something as profound as this, casting out a demon, causing somebody to uh, raised from the dead, feeding the 5,000. They wanted to make Jesus king after that. The people always respond positively. Now, we don't put saving faith on them. They are seeing Jesus as a true and honest miracle worker. Most people probably had an understanding that he was doing this through the power of God. But the Pharisees and those who were against him Turn the tables, and in 15, some said, some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Now you wonder, or you don't, but I do, where did this name Beelzebul come from? And if you look at the Old Testament, you have the Philistines. The Philistines were the tall people who hated Israel, and their headquarters of one of their kingdoms was in Ekron. And in Ekron, there was a big temple to Baal, B-A-apostrophe-A-L, Baal. That's a very common Old Testament uh, false god, okay? A true spiritual being when Elijah was fighting King Ahab and went to Mount Carmel against the false prophets, they were false prophets of Baal. So Baal was a very common uh, anti-God spiritual being that went against him in leading people astray. 
Now in Ekron, they had a temple to Baal, and over time it became Baal-Zebal. And people aren't really sure what that means. We think that Baal-Zebal, Zebul, we think, means king of or superior of or something like that. Nobody speaks Philistine today. Uh, so, and they didn't have very good written language, um, so it's difficult to understand what their words mean. And so the Hebrews, knowing their Old Testament, they can look in, you know, uh, Second Kings, and they can and they can see these names, and they just pulled it out of there, and said, "Well, that's clearly Satan. That's clearly, you know, the head of the underworld, the fallen angel, the the person who's against God." And so they pull that name out, Beelzebul, and that was the name for Satan in the time of the New Testament, okay? So it isn't just a strong demon, it is actually the top guy. We would say Satan or devil are the two names we have for the top evil guy. They would use Beelzebul, and they said that Jesus has his power. Now in Mark... They actually say he's possessed by Satan. Okay? Only one person has possessed, been possessed by Satan in the New Testament, and that was Judas. When Judas went to betray Jesus, it said Satan entered him. Okay? That is the only case in all of written history where Satan himself possessed somebody. But that's not, you know, the... the, the People hate him, hate Jesus, and so they're willing to say that Satan himself has possessed Jesus and he is the puppet of Satan. He is only doing Satan's work. And so Jesus, I don't know if I was called this, how I would respond. This is a personal attack. This is an attack against his kingdom. Jesus is the head of the kingdom of God. And they are saying he is the head of the kingdom of Satan. It is the actual opposite of what Jesus is trying to pull off here and what he truly is. And so Jesus looking at this actually calmly gives them a logical and then a spiritual response of why this can't be true. He could have just called down fire from heaven and said, okay, and you're dead. But he actually responds logically to show that they're not thinking through this. And the first thing he says is, he's doing, Jesus is doing a lot of work to hurt Satan. He's doing a lot of work to weaken the kingdom of Satan. He is casting out demons all over the place. He is having demons recognize who he is and declare that he is truly the son of God. And he casts them out. And he casts some demons into some pigs. And he casts some demons out and says, you're never to come back again. And so he is putting the kingdom of Satan in chaotic disarray. Any plans that Satan had to defeat Jesus isn't working. And so Jesus says, look at all I've done 
for the kingdom of God and all I've done against the kingdom of Satan, if I am working for Satan, then Satan's kingdom is divided. Then we are working at counter purposes, the people on the evil side of the coin. And he says, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? And so logically, if I am working against this church, for example, the church will eventually fail. And we've seen some churches over the years have a major split over something happened. And half the people want the direction of the church to go that way, and half the people want the direction of the church to go that way. And what happens is the church splits and the church fails. The church cannot continue down the direction because people within the organization are working at counter purposes. And he says that if I am casting out all these demons by the power of Satan, then Satan's kingdom is divided. Now, if you get on your old internet machine and you put in a house divided, if you put in a kingdom divided, you will find books, you will find a TV show, you will find a speech by Abraham Lincoln who was talking about slavery in America and how it was going to tear the country apart. And you will find this being used by all sorts of people to talk about, well, if there's a, if there's a big divorce in a family and it's a big family with lots of money, well, that will divide their kingdom. If there is a divorce in this way, people, when they look at the Civil War in America, talked about it being a house divided, how it was going to tear apart America, and it did for a couple years. The idea that people inside a kingdom or inside an organization cannot work against that kingdom or that organization, it cannot stand. So he said, logically, and this is a logical argument, there's nothing really spiritual about this. It isn't really a profound thought. People, he just thought it first, and it appeared first in the Bible, but then everybody stole it after that and said, hey, that's a logical thing to say. And so he is saying, if it is true, then, kingdom, then Satan's losing, then Satan's kingdom will fall apart, then Satan will not win. And so if I am an employee of Satan, I am actually disobeying my boss, he says. I am disobeying what my kingdom wants. He then asked the question, and this is the spiritual question. He said, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, who do your sons cast them out? Now, when he says sons, he means protégés. He means students. These, these Pharisees, these priests had classes, and they had students, and they did a sort of educational system so that when the Pharisee got old and passed away or unable to work, there would be a student that would come and take their place. And so these people were taught how to cast out demons. The Jews actually, even today, 
have a book on how to, using Old Testament incantations and rituals, how to cast out demons. The Jews have exorcists. Okay? Every religion that believes in good and bad spirits will have some level of exorcist, some level of system where if you have a demon problem, they can come and cast it out. Now, Jesus is just saying, hey, you out, and you out. I mean, it's easy for him. He is commanding demons, and demons cannot say no. But you go back in, I don't know, Malachi. You go back in Isaiah, and they had demon problems back then. They had demon possession. And the, de and the Jews had created a system. They had created prayers, and they had created words to say, kind of incantations, to cause the demon to be expelled. And as far as I can tell, from time to time it was actually successful. And so even today, if you are a rabbi in the Jewish faith, you can go and take you know, elective courses in being an exorcist. And if you're good at it, then you will be paid that and be a specialist in demon problems. Even today, the Jews believe in demons. We believe in demons. Uh, we as Baptists do not have, uh, don't, don't really have exorcisms. We just pray for the people. We have found over history that since a Christian cannot be demon-possessed, and we'll look at why that is in the next passage, a Christian cannot be demon-possessed. So if you are demon-possessed, you are not saved. So the best fix for that is to get you saved. And so the Baptist view is, I need to witness to you. I need to explain who Jesus is, and I need to offer salvation to you, because every time, going back to the 1500s when the Reformation happened, every time, Somebody accepts Christ and they're being demonized or even demon-possessed, the demon leaves instantly, okay? Now, there's, there's books out of South American stuff who say that it takes several hours because the demon likes to hang around and punch people and do stuff like that, but eventually the person is free. Possession ends instantly when a person is saved, but the demon may hang around and, and knock you around a bit because they want to stick around. So Jesus is saying, you successfully cast out demons, you Pharisees, you priests. You successfully do it. How do you do it? If I am doing it by the power of Beelzebub, you say that you're doing it by the finger of God. And that is the term they use in the Jewish faith. The finger of God is what they use to cast out demons. He says, I'm doing the same thing that you do. I'm doing the exact same thing that you do. But you say, I'm doing it by Satan's power, but you do it by God's power. So... He says, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. In other words, the students that cast out demons by the finger of God will, at the end of time, they will see that 
they were right and Jesus is right. It says, but if I, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, who do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they'll be your judge. But if it is by the finger of God, using their term, that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so, logically, if he is working for Satan, Satan's kingdom is in trouble. Spiritually, there are people in Israel at this time casting out demons. And if Jesus is doing it the same way as they are doing it, then they're right and Jesus is right and the kingdom of God has come upon you. Then he talks a bit about what demon possession is. And it's in 21. And he says, When a strong man fully armored guards his own palace, his goods are safe. Now there's debate as to who's the strong man. Uh, once again, if you get on your internet machine and you put in strong man or Bible strong man or Jesus strong man, it will come up with all manner of things. There are all manner of books. I found seven books entitled The Strong Man that you can buy today by people talking about this strong man. When you interpret scripture, you have to come up with an interpretation that the authors would believe. If I could go back in time, I would say, this is what I think it means. They need to say, yes, you're right. Then I have a good interpretation. Now the application, what I do with it, how I apply it to my life, is modern and unique. I can have a different application about this passage than you do. That is between you and God. That is between my and God, me and God. What it means, the interpretation, needs to be true and good in history. So because Jesus is talking about uh, uh, demon possession and Beelzebub and Satan and all that, the strong man is probably Satan. And Satan has a foothold. He is not possessing, but he has a foothold in every unsaved person. In every unsaved person, Satan has a hook in them. Okay? There is no neutrality. There is no, uh, as John MacArthur said, there is no third choice. You are either with God or with Satan. Only two choices. A lot of people out there say, I don't believe in anything. So they, are, they believe they're in a, a neutral third place. No, they're not. Satan has their hooks, his hooks in them. So Satan is the strong man. And if you do not believe in God or you reject Christ or you call Christ a tool of Satan or something like that, then... Satan is a strong man, he's fully armored, he's guarding you, and he has his hooks in you, okay? He may be possessing some, but he definitely has his hooks in them. They are in the kingdom of darkness. Unsafe people are in Satan's kingdom, okay? That is the default position for everybody before they are saved. Only two kingdoms, Satan's kingdom, God's kingdom. There's no no man's land in the middle. But when one's stronger, and in this context, who is stronger? Jesus is stronger. Okay? Satan's a strong man. 
Jesus is a stronger man. And Jesus comes and beats him up. Okay? It says, and one stronger attacks him and overcomes him, takes away his armor in which he's trusted and divides his spoil. In other words, if somebody is in the kingdom of Satan and Satan has his hooks in him, Jesus is stronger. Jesus will beat Satan. Jesus will take you out of that kingdom. Jesus will disarm Satan in your life is what he is saying. The strong man to people of the world is Satan. And he is a strong man, stronger than anybody on earth. But Jesus is stronger and Jesus will beat Satan every turn. Satan cannot say, Satan can't even get a punch in. Satan cannot fight Jesus successfully. And then he says to say the two kingdom thing again, who is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. You are either in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Satan. Then Jesus goes in verse 24, and he talks a bit more about this, and we didn't read it, but we're going to read it now. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none, it says... I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And what Jesus is saying is, you belong to somebody. Either the kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of God. Now, when Jesus comes and cleans you out, you say, you pray, Lord, help me, I'm being demonized. And Jesus helps you and chases the demons away. But then you say, well, I'm, I'm good in myself. I don't need Jesus anymore. He fixed my demon problem. I'm okay. Your spirit, your soul, your mind has been swept clean. Nobody's home there except you. And when demons come back, they say, Aha, this person still in our kingdom. I will bring seven more. And the possession is worse than it was before. The way that it has to work is that when you get help, get rid of any problems in your life, and it is through the power of God you then accept Jesus. And when you accept Jesus, who takes up residence? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is stronger than Satan. When Satan comes back and says, Oh, I used to live here, but now it's full. And I cannot go in. You cannot be possessed if you are a Christian. A Christian cannot be possessed. Okay? A Christian is, is possessed by the Holy Spirit. But you're on the same side as the Holy Spirit. They're not working at counter purposes when the Holy Spirit is in you. And so the, the idea that Jesus is casting out demons, there was a particular demon-possessed person previously where Jesus said, leave this person and never come back. That was the command that was given by Jesus in the passage that would make this thing impossible. They would not be able to go and come back and find it 
empty and, and fill it up with evil spirits. The idea is you're only in one of two kingdoms. Only one of two kingdoms. Either the kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of God. The default kingdom for people who say, I don't believe in anything, or God doesn't exist, or whatever they say these days. They are in the kingdom of Satan. And Satan can mess with them all he wants. And if they say, I need help from God, I'm having this problem and I need help, and God decides to help them and chase away the demons, if you don't take the next step and become a Christian and become saved and gaining the Holy Spirit, then you're still in the kingdom of Satan. You're just empty for a while. And the demonic forces can come back and find out that you haven't left his kingdom and mess with you seven times more and you will be worse off than you were before. People who play with God, people who live their life their own way, who clearly have their, their, they are on the throne of their life. There's a book, when I was a child, and it's called My Life, Christ's Home, and it presents your heart as a house with many rooms. And there's a throne in that house, and somebody's on that throne. That throne is never empty. It's either you, then you're in the kingdom of Satan, or it's Christ, then you're in the kingdom of God. And even though a Christian may try to knock Jesus off the throne every once in a while, we get in a bad way, or we get in a, you know, trying something different, and we want to do things our way, but once Jesus is on the throne, he's not moving. Jesus will never get off the throne of your life. But until that happens, we are fighting a losing battle against a very strong man by the name of Satan. We are fighting a very a losing battle against the forces of evil. And the only one who can beat evil, who can beat Satan is Jesus Christ. And so when you come to a place where you need a change, where you need something different, where you need things to be more God-centered, you need to take all the steps to turn your life over to God, to accept Him as your Lord and Savior, to say, my life doesn't work. I give it over to you and I make you, Jesus Christ, the King of my life. Only then will your house not be empty. Will your house be full of the Holy Spirit and whenever satanic forces come your way, <coughs> whenever a strong man, spiritual strong man, comes to you, they go, ah, ah, you're taken. And they go on to somebody else because Satan has no power over the saved. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we praise your name. We praise you that you are all-powerful against the kingdom of Satan, that you are all-powerful against those who beat their chest and declare themselves great in this world that you are all-powerful against everyone 
everything, every thought, every principality, every pow power, if it exists, you are more powerful than it. And Lord, we praise you for that and pray that we will live up to that, that we will live every day putting you more and more on the throne of our lives, knowing that when it's all said and done and we see you on your true thorn, throne, we will be free of this life, we will be free of the pain, we will be free of the attacks of Satan for all eternity. Lord, we praise you for that, and we ask your blessing on the remainder of the day. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.